Good morning. Hey, uh, if you got your Bible ready, why don't you go ahead and open up to Colossians chapter 2. And uh, I think we might actually finish the chapter today. We'll see how it goes. But uh, we're going to start in verse 16, which starts with the word, therefore. And as we've said before, when you see the word, therefore, you always want to stop and ask yourself what it's there for. And so uh, this is sort of an I, uh, the word therefore speaks of an idea that is uh, requiring a conclusion or is requiring a, a response or is uh, driving us toward a uh, conclusion of a thought kind of a thing. And so what is it there for? Well, previously, last time we were looking at it, we saw that um, Paul had been talking about how uh, um, how the, 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 the debt of sin that was held against us, that we owed for our sin, the debt that we owed, had been taken out of the way, had been nailed to the cross, it's finished. He ultimately took that handwriting of transgressions that was against us, and he nailed it once and for all to the cross. So in other words, that debt is now paid. Uh, again, he talks about, as we mentioned last time, in sort of past tense terms, uh, and you who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us, done all our trans, uh, trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood, past tense, against us with its legal demands. He set it aside. It's already done. And nailing it to the cross, he disarmed rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them, at the uh, tri- triumphing over them in him. Therefore, okay, since these things are true, since this is the case, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on aestheticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, like do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they're used, according to the the, uh, human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting uh, self-made religion and aestheticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So in what Paul had been talking about, the idea of the handwriting of transgressions, that true issue of separation from God has now been removed. It's been taken care of. It's been paid in full. It's been finished. Therefore, don't let anyone, last time he said, don't let anybody uh, uh, beware lest anyone take you captive by philosophy and such. Well, that same basic thought is what's at play here as well. Since these things are true, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or religious holidays and those kinds of things. Um, You know, it's one thing to be taken captive by false religion, by false philosophy, by false teaching and those kinds of things. Even the elemental principles of the world that undergird our cultures and societies and that, things that lead us away from the simplicity in Christ and instead draw us toward things that can never satisfy, never fulfill um, in, in anything resembling the fullness we have in Christ. Well, one of the most insidious uh, kinds of, uh, of captivities are those when we're pulled away to religion that is a lot like our religion but isn't in fact, the truth. Things that feel like they are religious in nature and and something that might please God, but in fact aren't, but become a substitute for these things. And that's what Paul begins to kind of focus on here a little bit. 
Uh, the idea of holy days and Sabbaths and, and, as he says here, food and drink, festivals, new moons and such. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now, in Colossae, the predominant nature of the church was not Jewish, but nonetheless, there are, there are people that, if they're not Jewish themselves, certainly understand the Jewish religion to some degree, because Paul makes reference to it here. The idea of a Sabbath, a covenant that was given to Israel, nobody else, just Israel, uh, is something that they're feeling like they have a responsibility to keep, because this is something that pleases God in some way. Uh, celebrating new moons and festivals, feast days, and those kinds of things, uh, keeping the high holy days in that. This is, of course, a touchy thing for some people, especially if you are, uh, if you're Jewish and have maybe come to even as far as to put your trust in Jesus, the Messiah. Um, what about things like the holy days? What about festivals and Sabbaths and those kinds of things, new moons and all? Well. Interestingly, in Acts chapter 15, uh, we have the church, first church council, the first council the church ever had, and it's, uh, it's, it deals with this very question. Uh, Gentiles have now been coming into the church. Uh, Peter opens the door in chapter 10. Paul becomes an apostle of the Gentiles. They both had success reaching out to those outside of ethnic, national, historic Israel, and instead, now they're coming to faith. If you remember Cornelius' house uh, in Acts chapter 10, when Peter uh, is called by the Lord to go there, uh, he's not even finished speaking. And the Holy Spirit falls upon this Gentile family, uh, as Peter would say, in the same way that he had come upon us as believers. And so the question is, essentially, it all boils down to the idea, well, if Gentiles can come to faith in Christ and be saved without having to go through Moses or through the law, then is there any longer a need for the law? You know, what purpose does the law now serve if, if in fact it's not sort of the, the pathway leading to salvation for a Gentile? Like, don't they have to follow Moses in order to follow Jesus? And the answer to the question, simply put, not to put too fine a point on it, but was no, they don't have to. Uh, there is no going back to Moses in order to follow Jesus. As a matter of fact, in Galatians chapter 3, to further build that case, Paul makes the point. Paul, this Pharisee of the Pharisees, this rabbi, this scholar of the law, this one who lived a life that was exemplary, that others wanted to be like, and that kind of thing, and his obedience to the law, his uh, incredible care to make sure that he didn't violate it and everything. And uh, in, in Galatians chapter 3, he, this one has all this knowledge and understanding of the law, says the law was actually just a schoolmaster. It was intended to keep us walking between the lines, as it were, so that when Messiah came, our understanding of the law would lead us to him. Now, that's true on a couple of fronts. One is it's true in terms of just uh, the sort of breadcrumb trail. We've called it before the scarlet thread of redemption that runs through the Old Testament that... Um, that uh, speaks about the coming Messiah. Jesus said the scriptures speak of him. So there's in that sense, it's very true. Um, but even in terms of the purpose of the law in helping us to understand that we couldn't keep it, right? Uh, the purpose of the law was not to provide a means by which you could be saved. It, If you could keep it, then you would have a right to stand in heaven because you'd never sinned and that kind of thing. And theoretically, of course, we're all born in sin, laid in iniquity, as David would say, in my mother's womb, I was sinful, right? Conceived in sin. And so the idea is that we're all sinful by nature so that we, even if we could keep the law, we wouldn't really go to heaven. But the theory, the thinking was that the closer I am to keeping the law, the better I am. And God will judge me on that based on how well I kept the law. And that was the mindset. 
Well, Paul essentially in Galatians 3 says that that was a complete misunderstanding of the law. It's a misreading of what it was all about. As, as detailed and as, as, as weighty as the law was, its purpose was not to provide a means by which we could be saved because we couldn't be saved by it. A, because we still have sin within us regardless. Paul makes that case throughout Romans. But on top of that, none of us can keep the law perfectly. That perfect standard of holiness that God describes through the law is something that is unobtainable by us because we're incapable of keeping it. As Paul again would say in Romans, the problem is not the law, the problem is us. The law is beautiful, the law is good if it's lived out lawfully, but we can't keep it uh, entirely. And so therefore we're violators of it, we're rebels against it. Uh, both in sin and in transgression, in, those, in, in the fact that we just stumble and fall by nature, and on top of it, we also have this rebellious nature that causes us to, to, to act opposite and contrary to the law. It's, it's just hopeless. And so this becomes uh, you know, the right understanding of the purpose of the law. And so when Paul here back in Colossians says, you know, don't let anyone hold, you, hold your feet to the fire on keeping feast days and, and new moons and festivals and such, it's because those things, even at their apex, at, the, at, the, at, the, at their most beautiful, ultimately demonstrate, or ultimately, I should say, a shadow of a real reality that is ultimately the person of Christ, who ultimately came as the only one who could actually keep the law and did, was born without original sin. He was born, again, of the virgin. This is why the virgin birth is an essential area of, 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 uh, of theology for us. We understand these things for a reason, and the reason being that Jesus was born into the world without sin, and therefore as he lived his life perfectly, as he perfectly kept the law of God, ultimately he goes to the cross, not with his own sin, but he dies for our sins, the lawbreakers, the rebels, the ones who couldn't, and he pays for it for you know, once and for all, it's finished. That which we could never do, he did. So if that's true, therefore, why would we allow ourselves to be kept under these rules and regulations? If we understand them properly, they were to paint a picture of the coming of Christ. They were to teach us that we couldn't keep them. Why, after the debt has been paid, are we trying so hard to keep them as if something is riding on it? It's not. And that's the point Paul is making. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance of the reality belongs to Christ. Therefore, let no one disqualify. He doesn't say therefore again, but he goes on to say, let no one disqualify you, insisting on aestheticism or this idea of this outward practice for the sake of holiness, essentially. Um, uh, let no one set you aside because you're not living in accordance with this religious practice and those kinds of things. Uh, let no one disqualify you, insisting on worshiping angels and, 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 and as they go into details about visions puffed up without reason in their sensuous or earthy mind. Um, there is so much that purports to be a pathway to deeper knowledge of God or, or, or a better standing with God or knowing him more deeply and, and this kind of thing. And, and people will, will seek to, to, to try and, uh, A, try and B, and do these things, but secondly, try to foist this weighty thing on the shoulders of their hearers and followers and such. Um, to do these things, to do these uh, religious types of things. They'll reach into the Old Testament, which, by the way, was never for the Gentiles. Uh, the law was given to Moses. If in the Old Testament, as a Gentile, you wanted to follow the God of Israel, then you would be circumcised, you'd honor the Sabbath, and you would uh, you know, sort of enter into that covenant relationship from the outside. 
Um, but the law wasn't given to the Gentiles. The law was given to the Jews. And so when we as Christians in the New Testament or those professing to know Christ at the very least, go into the Old Testament and start pulling these things out and start putting them as a, as a, as a, as a responsibility on people today, we're misunderstanding theology, we're misunderstanding the purpose of the law, and we're certainly misunderstanding grace. Uh, and so we want to be careful to avoid these things and therefore let no one pass judgment on us or disqualify us. In other words, lead us into a place where we start to put the weight of our faith on these things rather than the reality that is Christ. Uh, see how insidious that can be, how it can look, but I'm pulling it out of the Bible. See what the Bible says I need to do to be right with God? You can't just believe in grace alone as if somehow that's enough. You need to do things too. Paul says no. No, 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 a thousand times no. That is a complete misunderstanding of our responsibility as believers. We, uh, the just shall live by faith. That's not just believe for eternity, but live by faith. You know, the entire thing is wrapped up in this. That statement, by the way, is found in Habakkuk 2.4. Uh, it's also found three times in the New Testament. And so, uh, what, Romans... Um, uh, uh, Galatians and Hebrews, I think, right? Am I, you can correct me on this in the notes if I'm uh, misremembering that. But four times in the scripture we see this concept, uh, at least two times by the apostle of grace, uh, Paul, you know, and then if, if Paul wrote Hebrews, then three times, but three times in the New Testament. This idea of adding to grace removes it from being grace, becomes law again. And that's something that is not what we're called to, to live under. Thank God for that. Again, if we could never keep it in the first place, why think we can now? <clears throat> well, because the Holy Spirit lives within us. Yeah, but the Holy Spirit's not calling us to be under the law. We do live in obedience out of love and response to God's grace. Do we do it perfectly? Of course not. And so we're in the same boat. We have a different motivation to want to keep it now, to walk in, and I say keep it, I don't mean like we're going to start doing the dietary laws and stuff, but that which represents the holiness and purity of God, we want to live in a way that kind of reflects that. You know, I, I, I don't want to walk in the sin that so easily besets. I don't want to um, have this uh, or, 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 or live in a relationship that is based on something that was never intended to save me in the first place. Instead, I want to walk by faith in the grace of God day after day after day letting the Holy Spirit continue to cleanse and sanctify me, set me apart, as Paul would say to the Thessalonians, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality and such. This is the work of the Holy Spirit and the believer in the New Testament. And so Paul is helping them understand that we don't want to spend time focusing on all of the things that, uh, that, that are fleshly in nature or things that in, in the flesh make us feel as though we're becoming more spiritual, but as he says at the end of the passage, have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, they are not spiritually driven ideas. Instead, uh, or driven by the Holy Spirit, maybe is a better way to say it, but rather they give us a sense or an aura of spirituality, but yet not really demonstrating true biblical Holy Spirit-led spirituality. Uh, in some ways, it's, it's sort of like denying the power of the real work of the gospel for the sake of something that we're trying to prop up in order to present ourselves as being holy in some special way. It talks about visions and stuff, people uh, being puffed up in their minds without reason, without godly reason, without biblical reason. Uh, reasoning is what's in view there. Um, there are those that purport to have visions and such where they're hearing things from God and this makes them appear more spiritual in this kind of thing. Um, 
be careful about those things leading you into some strange aesthetic sort of version of of following Jesus and even maybe presenting some other version of Jesus. No, the, you know, I'll tell you something. There is a lot to be said about the simplicity that is in Christ. Uh, not to get on a tangent on this, I guess I'm probably too late for that, but uh, you know, when you think about the first century believers, most first century believers weren't theologians. They weren't necessarily deep thinkers. There were plenty of them. Paul is certainly not the only person that ever thought deeply about the things of God. He was the only one who was inspired in, 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 in the way he was for you know, so much of, of the writing of the scripture along with you know, the other Bible writers. But the average person like you and me in the first century would, would have just been typical ordinary people just living out their faith. Um, they wouldn't have been in ivory tower discussions. They would have just simply been seeking to follow Jesus under the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you read the book of Acts, you see that's what they were doing. Not everybody, not perfectly and all that kind of thing. It was messy at times and that kind of thing. But the general principle was that in Christ, you have your all in all. And so therefore, learn of him, study him, become a disciple of his, spend time uh, in, in the ways prescribed in scripture and fellowship and teaching and prayer, breaking bread together uh, with fellow believers growing in your faith. Uh, you know, I, I'm always taken aback when I either flip on the TV or somebody I run into in, in life that they, they always seem to have to have some spiritual edge that gives them a cut above. Um, I get visions from God, or God tells me this, or the Holy Spirit always talks to me about that. That's not the norm for the Christian. That's, I mean, there, there are extraordinary circumstances where God may give you a, uh, some insight or may give you even a prophecy about some local, personal kind of a thing. Not new scripture or anything like this. Nothing that is suddenly the word for the whole church. God has given us the word for the church, and so we have it already. The Christian faith is an extremely spiritual thing, but it is an extremely practical thing. Uh, in other words, we have our eyes lifted to heaven while our feet are firmly planted on the ground. And we walk our lives, we live our lives following Jesus based on what he said in the word and not on all these aesthetic, spiritually puffed up ideas that are often given to us. Uh, my heart truly, and I mean this uh, as, a, as a pastor, my heart grieves for those people that go after these things. They're always chasing after some new teacher that's got the, the new insight from God, or this one's got the special revelations from God. And then they turn out to be false teachers and stuff. Uh, and I know people, good friends, have, have, have gone through this, the cycle of those things. You know, here in Chicago, where I'm from, I've, I've known people from around the country, even around the world, honestly, and in different opportunities when I've had to travel that have just been caught up in these kinds of things. Uh, and, and some of them, their faith ends up being shipwrecked, and it takes them a long time to come back. Uh, to get over that disillusionment and disappointment um, and discouragement. Um, you know something? Let me encourage you to simply read your Bible every day, prayerfully. Read through it. Read it in context. Read, don't just read a verse and, and just, you know, but read the whole thing. Read the context. Read the book it's in. Understand it within the context of the scripture as a whole and just grow day after day, slowly but surely. Uh, knowing just every day as you grow that you're as you're learning to walk closer and closer with Jesus um, and don't get wrapped up in all the stuff that that makes you feel spiritual because so often those things are are counterfeits they lead you astray again it's the simplicity in Christ that we're called as believers to enjoy to to be the the the, the beautiful 
soil in which we can grow, that seed of the word can just simply do what it does. As you water it, as you nurture it, it begins to bear fruit. Um, Paul has his warning about not being taken captive or not being, as he says here, uh, being judged or, or being disqualified by going off in, the, off in these different directions. These are good warnings for us to heed. Uh, and it's good for us to know that there are going to be plenty of people out there who are going to try to lead us into different uh, kinds of things that will rob us of the beautiful joy that's found in simply walking with Jesus. Um, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Paul understood these things from his Jewish background, but even he recognized that those are not the things he's called to live in anymore. Uh, he's called to walk simply with Christ. And so um, I have a feeling there may be a few people that take some exception with sort of setting the law aside uh, when we talk about grace and that kind of thing. Um, and if you have comments or questions about any of that, please feel free to engage. You know, we do talk about this on the podcast from time to time. And, and, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, part of the reason that I, I hammer on it so much is because I know there are a lot of teachings out there that really do try to put people back under the law and uh, kind of sew up the veil again, as it were, as, as it's often said. And, and we need to be careful of that kind of stuff. And, and if you're somebody who teaches that or somebody who holds to those views, I'm not trying to argue and fight with you, but I, I, I really want to encourage you to not read the scripture through the lens of legalism, but understand what grace is really all about. Study the letters of Paul and find out how he describes it. And by the way, not just Paul. Read First Peter and see what Peter has to say about it. You know, look at the Gospels and see how Jesus exemplifies it uh, himself. You know, learn of the Master uh, and and recognize the place that the law had in pointing us to the grace that is found in Christ. Matter of fact, let me finish on that thought with this passage in the beginning of John's Gospel. And this might be a good place to sort of just land this thing for the day. In John chapter 1, of course, we have this great introduction to the person of Christ uh, entering, uh, you know, coming from eternity beyond and everything. And and and, uh, and notice here, um, uh, uh, here we go, let me find this here real quick. Here we go. In verse 17 of chapter 1, uh, or even in verse, uh, in verse 16, For of his fullness we've all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so recognize the place that the law had. It was of God. It is of God. It is something that God has given, especially his people. But even the world as we read it, we can see the holiness of God, the righteousness of God on full display. But we have to understand the reason it was given. It was given to help us understand how incapable we are of keeping it. And therefore, grace has come to pick us up as we've consistently stumbled and fallen trying to keep the law. Um, and so understand the place of grace. Understand the purpose of the law when it was given. And walk in God's grace, the freedom that it gives, the life-giving capacity to enjoy the relationship we have with Christ because of God's grace fully. Um, I'm going to just stop there. I could go on and on and on, but I'm just going to stop there for now. So thanks for watching as always. If you have comments and questions, again, you can leave them in the comment section below on our YouTube channel. If you're watching this on my personal website at parsonspad.com or if you're listening to it uh, on any of the audio outlets, you can go to my website, parsonspad.com or our church's website at calvarychapelfranklin.com and you can email me from either of those two uh, places as well. So uh, thanks for watching. God bless you. Let me pray us out and then commend you to the Holy Spirit uh, and to the Lord's good grace.
grace as we walk through our day. Father, we come before you and thank you. You're so good to us and so gracious in so many ways. Most of all, we thank you that you have saved us from our inability to keep the law, our sinful nature, and all of the debt and the uh, and the penalty that we, the punishment even, that we so richly deserve because of our sin. We thank you that Jesus came and took those sins away. He took it off of our shoulders, the debt that we owed, and he took it upon his own and nailed it to the cross once and for all, and that debt is now paid. And we thank you that he paid it in full. And there's nothing left that we can do to add to it. There's nothing we can do to make it greater or even diminish it. It it is what it is. And we thank you for what it is because in it, in that grace, we find that we are saved. And so we just pray that God, you'd help us not only to recognize that we're saved by grace through faith, but we even stand on grace every day. And And we ultimately live according to the trust, the faith that your grace is enough. And so we thank you for who you are in loving us. We thank you for sending your son, God in the flesh, dying for our sins. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who seals us for the day of redemption and also fills us to overflowing and even empowers us coming upon us to live our lives in ways that ultimately bring you glory and allow us to do the work that you've laid before us. Father, help us not to get caught in the trappings and certainly help us not to fall prey to those who would seek to put us back under the law or those who would seek to uh, accuse us of having a religion that is that is uh, not what it could be because we're not doing this, that, or the other thing. And Father, also protect us from those who would claim to have visions that don't have them, uh, those who would seek to just draw attention to themselves and therefore away from you, and help us certainly never to be that kind of thing, that was to never be that way ourselves, but help us to walk in grace with you as the Lord, us as the servant, the disciple, simply learning your ways, growing closer to you every day as we do, spending time in your word and prayer and fellowship with others, and just growing closer and closer to you. One day we'll see you face to face, and help us, Lord, just to each day between now and then, just draw closer and closer to you. We know that's your desire for us, so we pray that it would be fulfilled. Thank you, Father. We love you and praise you and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.